hey, uh, don't fast forward. I want to share some information about a special deal with you. Bounce Athletics is offering 343 listeners and members a 10% discount on orders of premium custom soccer balls and training vests. That's right. Bounce Athletics products are fully customizable, which means you can get your school or your club or your camp logo right on the balls or the vests when you order. I personally tested their mini balls, camp balls, NFHS approved balls, and I was thoroughly impressed with everything. And so was the U12 player that I just finished training this morning. If you are running a soccer camp in 2019, Bounce Athletics can offer you fully customized, micro-stitched, textured, premium camp soccer balls for under $9 per ball. These are the same exact balls that are used by major D1 college programs for their camps, such as Wake Forest, Creighton, Texas Tech, Michigan State, just to name a handful. To receive free shipping with delivery in May, just place your order by February 15th, 2019. Email info at bounceathletics.com to start the order process and make sure that you mention 343 so you get your 10% off of your order. This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. This episode is a conversation that I recorded with Gary Kleiben in December of 2016. The topic we focus on is the phrase, it's just a game. We discussed what those words mean to us, and we also talk about other people using that phrase to their advantage when it is convenient for them to do so. I've been recording my weekly conversations with Gary for years. Some of them have been released in the past, but the majority of them will be locked in the 343 vault forever. This particular conversation covers a number of important topics and provides a necessary dose of context and truth for the very polluted American soccer conversation. And the reason for releasing this is that it's time to debunk the American myth that soccer is just a game because it is way, way, way more than just a game. And you can tell that I'm passionate about this topic and I'm very excited to share this episode with you. But before we get into it, I want to remind you that 343 is way more than just a podcast. In fact, it is the other services that we offer that allow us to keep this podcast going. I'm talking about the 343 Premium Coaching Education Membership, which is the only program that allows you to watch one of the best coaches in the country train and execute his proven possession-based methodology, and his entire curriculum is on display for you to see. 343 offers a ton of free content like videos, blogs, podcasts like you're about to listen to, but the Premium Coaching Education Membership is our flagship program, and it is that program that you want to be a member of. Here are just some of the benefits that you get with the 343 membership. You get access to videos of real training sessions, videos of real matches, the core activities to help you start playing and coaching possession-based soccer. You get that in eBooks. You get that through audio lessons, recorded presentations, seminars, and clinics. And you also get forums for networking and sharing ideas with other 343 coaches. And you get all of that, everything that I just mentioned, for 
$295, which is a steal compared to other coaching education outlets. And there's no better time than right now to access the power of the 343 methodology and our nationwide network of coaches. You can get all of that by signing up for the premium coaching membership at 343coaching.com. Once again, that is all available at 343coaching.com. Okay, let's get into this episode today. It's a conversation between Gary and I. I hope that you enjoy it. Give us some feedback on Twitter. Tell us your thoughts. I'm excited to share this one with you. I hope you enjoy. The most undermining phrase in American soccer. That's what I wanted to talk about. Okay. So I don't know if you remember what that one was about. I'll give you a little reminder. Um, so starts off with, it's just a game in quotations. And then you follow with, no, it's not. So to, I think a, a lot of people, when they start talking about like, it's, oh, it's more than a game. They start to think about like maybe inspirational, like Nike commercials, like kids, like taking it more serious than, you know, just a game, blah, 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 blah. But I think you're going at it from a different angle of, you know, there's, there's other yeah, way different um, uh, things going on than just, you know, being inspired to play more than just a game. What, what are some of those things that you're, that you're meant there that you're referring to? Yeah. Well, well, first let me tell you a phrase that came to mind when you're suggesting the Nike thing. Yeah. It's more than just a tagline, you know, it's more than a marketing gimmick, uh, just like the beautiful game is a lot more than just the marketing tagline. There, there's, there's something deeper to that. I kind of liken it to like the American dream. The American dream isn't just a marketing tagline either. You know, there's, there's so many layers beneath that, um, that, that make it what it is. So, so what's be, okay. So what's beneath the more than a game thing? Um, the angle I'm coming at it is, It's an ecosystem, John, just like any other ecosystem. If I want to manufacture paper, if I want to manufacture uh, or create, uh, distribute coffee beans, if I want to make, I don't know, door handles or doorknobs or doorbells, and I'm just looking around the room right now, or sneakers or hard drives, all, all those things have an ecosystem built around them. And... And all those things have people who dedicate their lives to it, you know, whether it be the engineers who design them, you know, the technicians who test them, the distributors who distribute them, then there's the consumer who buys these things. There, all those people get affected by, um, you know, it's part of their livelihoods and it's part of the production consumption cycle that make up, you know, a market economy. And soccer is the same way, man. Like you have uh, business owners who, you know, own the clubs. You have business owners who uh, create shirts and sell cleats and um, provide all of the consumables that go into the game. Then you have the coaches uh, whose livelihoods are in the game as well. Players, if you're a professional, it's your livelihood. Players, if, if you're not a professional, well, 
you know, maybe you aspire to be that if you're a youth player uh, or, or aspire to go to college, you know, and if, if you're going to college, you want a scholarship or if you can't get a scholarship, then maybe you can get into a college where your academics wouldn't get you in all by themselves. You need the sport to go along with it. And so there's real life ramifications in the ecosystem. So, yeah, there, it's a heck of more than just some sort of game, like, you know, as if you're playing Candyland. You know, it's not you're playing Candyland with your family on the weekends. There's there's some real consequences. So that's by far the the biggest thing I have in my mind when I wrote that. It's, no, guys, listen, the reason we're fighting so hard and we're so passionate about this is because some of these things matter. And if you're not, and if you're as they call them, you know, a typical or casual fan who or actually, I don't want to say casual, just a fan of the game. You have these, uh, like culture wars or there's some tribalism associated with the game as well. Especially if you're looking at it from the international level, you know, when England plays Argentina, you know, there's a lot of history there and built up political, cultural, social, economic, uh, angst between the peoples of those countries. Um, and the same can be said about, you know, Mexico and the U.S. and or El Salvador and Honduras or you name it. There's something deeper uh, than if we were just playing Candyland, you know, uh, or something of that nature. So that's what I was aiming for. And a lot of what you just mentioned were like, consequence like consequences so almost like thinking negative things and people tend to not think about i guess the the positive side of things and i know you've tried to highlight that in in many conversations like people talk about promotion relegation and they focus on the relegation aspect of it but they never really think about you know the third tier team moving into the second tier and second tier team moving into the first tier they don't you know they don't make that the focus of the conversation what are your thoughts on that 100%. So a lot of what's said by people who oppose, for example, promotion and relegation, they always focus on the relegation part. Well, how do you protect the owners who invested so much money in creating MLS? And it's a, it's a good question, man. It's like, listen, yeah, they invested. Uh, they put their skin in the game. Uh, perhaps there should be some protections in place, which there have been. You know, they've had exclusivity for 20 years now. Uh and so the question of protecting those people is important. But, yeah, they're completely neglecting everybody else. You know, how do you protect the the fourth division MPSL owner who's investing, you know, $50,000 a year or $70,000 a year into this venture? Uh, how do you help that person out as well? You know, how do you say, hey, listen, build this club and look, there's there's some gold at the end of the rainbow if you do everything correctly, uh, that there's the potential for you to, to maximize uh, your ability as a businessman or, or your players' abilities as, their, as players or your coach's ability or your community. And that doesn't exist. The promotion side of the equation is gone. And so we've we've built this caste system where you are perpetually stuck in the lower divisions uh, with no real hope of going up. Yeah, there's hope, but that's on the political front, and that's exclusively on on the economic front. But the economic front is 
is limited because without that hope that you can merit your way to the top, you know, that scares investors away. And, and the support from the community is also, uh, I don't know, factors smaller than what it could be if that carrot was being dangled in there, meaning, hey, come out and support your local team. You know, if we can get a thousand season ticket holders, five thousand season ticket holders, ten thousand season ticket holders, then all that revenue, the the club can put into uh, infrastructure and getting better players, and and with that comes an increased probability of being promoted, and then the community and the fans who supported them, you know, move up to the third tier along with them, and and on and on and on. You know, but without that sort of incentive, then everybody is capped, man. And and I think that's a far greater crime's not the right word, but you know, a far greater problem than saying, Hey, let's protect these billionaires, these fifteen, twenty billionaires, um and have them perpetually stay in the first division. That's I think that is a moral wrong, John. And it's funny, too, because you see people all the time. I, I was just on Twitter earlier today, and I saw people saying, oh, well, what, what about the crafts? Or what about the people that, that, you know, were here in 1996? Like, we should be, you know, bowing down to these people um, for kind of giving soccer CPR in, in this country at, at, at that moment, I guess. Yeah, but it's weird. And it goes back to your original question about it just being a game. You know, they always resort back to that. But then... They make the claim that you just said, and I'm looking at it. It's like, well, if you look at patent law, and I'm not up to speed to to the nearest to the uh, the latest, but you know, you file a patent, and you've got maybe 16, 17 years of exclusivity on that, and then that's gone. You know, so that's one way that you know governance incentivizes people to invest is, hey, invest in research and development, whether you're a biotech firm or a tech firm or something of that nature, invest. And if you come up with something and the market, the consumers love it, well, guess what? You know, you're going to have 17 years of exclusivity in this. And with that comes all the profits from there. But it's not indefinite, man, because if you keep it indefinite, then progress stagnates. And, and then you're forming these these monopolies that sit atop of the market forever. We can go on and on and on. So Microsoft, beautiful, created the PC revolution, or helped create the PC revolution, but and invested billions in the process. So why should we protect them? I mean, they weren't protected. They invested a hell of a lot more money than any of these guys in MLS invested. They weren't protected. You know, Google comes along and starts eating their lunch, and Apple comes along and starts eating their lunch. And there's competition for whoever has the best product wins. So I'm not saying don't protect the owners. First off, they've been protected for 20 years. If you want to further protect them, fine. Create some public uh, regulations from U.S. soccer saying, hey, listen, we're going to introduce promotion relegation in five years or in 10 years. Whatever the case may be, put a timeline in place and say, and when it gets instituted, when it comes online in five years, the existing MLS teams can't be relegated for another five years. So you're giving the owners 10 years still of Division One football without any risk. 
And in the meantime, you're mobilizing the rest of the market, which is hundreds of clubs beneath, maybe thousands, because youth teams may be, you know, incentivized to form their own adult teams, their own fifth or fourth division teams as well. Uh, but we're not doing that, man. We're not doing that. We're we're letting, you know, a handful of people own the game. And again, I come back to this time and time again, and it's linked to it's not just the game. It's a moral wrong. I think it is morally wrong what they're doing. In the article that we're that we're kind of picking apart, there's a section where you write, uh, the Federation is the governing body presiding over the American soccer ecosystem. It is implicitly, if not explicitly, chartered to look out for the interests of all its constituents. And and so the question I had written down, which you've kind of you you've already picked it apart a little bit, but I, I was just wondering if you could explain that particular sentence in more detail. Yeah. So. U.S. soccer, I don't remember the fee structure or anything like that, but it has a whole bunch of members. You know, anybody who's under U.S. soccer's umbrella, and that includes MLS, NASL, USL, PDL, MPSL, U.S. the adult league, and all the youth clubs essentially, you know, are paying U.S. soccer and are part of their constituency. So they need to be looked out after. I mean, we are we are giving these people. Uh, yeah, money and the charter to, hey, okay, we're part of your organization. We should be represented in your organization. Don't just leverage all your governing power for a handful of people. Look up for us too. And if we go beyond the professional game and look at the youth game, U.S. soccer is not doing that. Look at what it did. It created a U.S. soccer development academy, uh, a league, a national league, which it created and operates and benefits from. And that's fine. That's great. It shows some sort of uh, initiative uh, to try and, and, and improve soccer in this country. But it created a league that's closed as well. And you can't earn your way into U.S. Soccer's Development Academy. You can't do it. You have to. There's an application process. This application process goes to a back room where a gatekeeper or five gatekeepers get together and if they don't like you politically if they don't like you culturally um you're not in or or they have you know requirements based on geography too so if you're in a certain geographic region and another club is already a uh, development academy in that region well shit sorry dude you're out of luck you'll never have a development academy because somebody else got there first what is this, man? What are we doing? Uh, so we go back and forth. You know, people who oppose promotion relegation in, in the pro game, you know, cite things like economic viability and travel and all this other stuff um, as reasons as to why U.S. soccer doesn't implement it. But I always ask them, look at the youth game. Why is there no promotion relegation to the top tier in the youth game? There, All those excuses go out the window. There are no owners who invested billions of dollars, you know, to be in the U S development Academy, you know, and it, it just doesn't make sense, dude. It doesn't make sense. And now they created the girl side of it. And you had a league ECNL who, you know, has been operating the elite level uh, of the girl side. And now they're pretty much getting expropriated from being the top flight league for the girls. Uh, all because U.S. soccer came in 
and said, we're building this thing and screw you. I think it's wrong, dude. Hey, sit tight. We are going to hear a quick message from our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. It's a part-time DOC. I had a budget and you know, we needed training gear every year and it just was getting more and more difficult to find decent, high quality, affordable training balls. That's Zach. He's the co-founder of Bounce Athletics. And as a coach, he was having a hard time finding quality soccer balls at an affordable price. So he started searching for ways to solve that problem for himself and for others. We've been able to experiment with a lot of different textured materials and construction methods. And, and I think we've really got it dialed in to, to where now, you know, with, with our training balls, we're providing super high level training balls that have all the modern technology in them for a fraction of the price of global brands. Zach and Bounce Athletics are offering 343 members and listeners 10% off orders of those custom premium soccer balls that he was just talking about. If you are hosting a soccer camp this summer and you want to get 10% off camp balls with free shipping and receive everything by May, just place your order with Bounce Athletics by February 15th. Email info at bounceathletics.com to start the order process and be sure to mention 343 to receive your 10% discount. All right, let's get back to the show. A thought that popped into my head when you started mentioning about youth soccer and how there's no billionaire investors in in the youth game if you were to kind of stack up uh like your regular saturday sunday travel club team and see how far those teams have to travel and the amount of money that that goes into you know their jerseys and whatnot and where that money comes from i i'm i'm thinking about the percentage of income that goes or sorry, I think percentage of income isn't the right word. Just the percentage of money from the families that go into supporting a club versus the percentage of money that a billionaire puts into, you know, his his MLS side. I, I think it would be a staggering difference, and and people would be surprised to see that parents are putting in, you know, a, a huge chunk of their own money to support their kids' youth game. I don't know where absolutely. I was going with that, but no, absolutely. Well, I well, something that popped in my head is if you look at a a mid tier club budget, we're talking uh, a club, you know, mid just mid tier. Maybe you have like fifteen teams or something like that. You're already in million dollar territory of revenues, operational uh, of cash flow. So it's not pocket change. If you look at the mega clubs, we're talking in the tens of millions, and so. And then you look at the salary cap for an MLS team and you see what that's like, you know. And so I'm not comparing a youth club to an MLS uh, franchise, but it's not peanuts either. You know, there, there's millions of dollars being cycled through a youth club every year. And the parents are investing a heck of a lot more than any sort of supporter of an MLS franchise as well. Parents are putting in two, three, four, five thousand dollars a year. And let's make sure that the consumer is protected. And I'm not so sure that we're doing that, man. In fact, I, I think we're not doing it. I'll just say it. <laughs> just the, uh, I noticed just the other day you got into a little conversation on Twitter about statistics and somebody had claimed that you had said that you don't like statistics. Mm -hmm. And you came back with, I'm a, I'm a trained physicist. Of course I like statistics. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about money right now. And I'm wondering what types of statistics or what types of numbers 
actually interest you when you're talking about the professional game. And I noticed the other day you asked about MLS ratings and things like that. It's like, what's what's going on in your head when you're thinking about statistics and, and stuff when it comes to U.S. soccer or MLS? Let's see if I can remember the two things I I want to say. Um, the first, I'll, I'll just give you one statistic or not, one number that I'm really interested in first, and that is what is the minimum operating cost uh, to complete an MLS season? You know, so what is it that's what is the base level money required to complete an MLS season? If it's uh, $5 million, $10 million, $2 million. I don't know what I, I'm interested in what that number is because then you can make a case or it's a data point to help make a case that listen, the winner of the second division, if it's Sacramento, or if it's Minnesota, or if it was the now defunct cosmos, if they can post a bond or prove that they can complete the subsequent MLS season without any financial trouble, then I don't see the issue with having them being promoted. And this sort of stuff exists in leagues or, or in federations across the world where, you know, there are base level requirements for you to get promoted. And the base level requirement isn't pay us a $100 million franchise fee, build a soccer a specific stadium, uh, and, and things of that nature, you know, or, or you must have a, you must be located in a city in a city of over two million people. None of that matters, you know. Abar was going to get promoted when they won the second tier uh, two or three years ago, and they were having they were struggling to prove that they can they had the financial wherewithal to compete in the first division, you know, in their first season. And and the community came together. The whole world came together and started donating. They they crowdfunded, and a lot of former pros that were influenced, like Xavi Alonso, you know, started donating as well. And so look at the look at what happened. You know, they couldn't fulfill the requirements, and then the whole community gathered around to help them fulfill those requirements. We can have the same thing in the U.S. So, anyways, that's not really a, a statistic question but i do want to know that number what is the minimum operating cost of to complete an mls season um on the other front uh more statistics based i just always jump on people not not always i always like raise an eyebrow people who cite soccer statistics as proof of an argument that they're trying to make look this player had 14 goals and nine assists. You know, he's the best player there is. Uh, or, or what you saw the other day, you know, I cited Jordan Morris attempted 17 passes and completed seven of them. Uh, and we can go on and on and on about a myriad of, of numbers. And, and the reason this gentleman was perhaps misunderstood that I didn't like statistics is that statistics, I think require two things to be used responsibly. One is a little bit of expertise in mathematics. So if you're not, if you, I don't know, if you're not a trained mathematician, it's, it's kind of difficult 
I think to, to fulfill that, I myself am very scared of using statistics too. And, and I just look at my background with the advanced degrees in physics. I teach this stuff for God's sakes. And I'm like, shit, do I really know what I'm talking about when, uh, when we speak of regression or Bayesian uh, distributions? I, I'm scared because I know how dangerous it is. Um, and two is you need some sort of domain expertise. By that I mean, okay, the statistics is is in what domain? It's in soccer? Okay, you better have some pretty damn good expertise in soccer if you're going to properly contextualize any sort of number. And I think most people who use stats in soccer don't have either. You know, you have fans throwing out these stats like Messi versus Ronaldo. Ronaldo scored a lot more goals, you know, and he won his team, won the Euro. And so he should win Ballon de Oro. And I'm like, fuck's sake. Like, no, I completely, that's ridiculous. Um, and we can, can just go from there. So I don't know, I'm rambling at this point. So two things, dude, domain expertise and a little bit of math chops, which I think, you know, most people fail on both fronts. And I want to go back to your Ibar example and like how people bonded together and crowdfunded and whatnot. And I know, and I don't know the specific examples, but I know that there are teams that wear certain jerseys and have certain colors because they've been like floated money or, or loaned money by other clubs or other cities uh, throughout history, you know, to, to, you know, either build a stadium or, to help during financial hardship or, or whatnot. And so like their tribute to whoever helped them was to wear the colors of other teams or clubs or cities or something like that. And so it's just, that's an international example of, of something that I, I think would happen all the time in the United States if, if given the opportunity. So. No, I agree, man. I agree. And, and going back to the youth side and how it's a closed system on the youth side as well. Like it really had, and you know this because we've been in these discussions for a couple of years now. It's prevented me from like going gung ho and starting a club myself, whether it be a an adult club with MPSL because I can't earn my way up, or even a youth club. It's like, listen, if I want to start a youth club, and, and and the plans are in place to start doing that, I have to go U8 through U11 because there's no U.S. Soccer Development Academy at those age groups, and so I'll be able to attract. You know, a lot, of, a lot of the top end of the player pool, which is our objective. Uh, but if I wanted to start a U12, U13, U14 squad, which, which we'd eventually get to if we stuck with our teams from U8 through U11, all of a sudden I'm going to lose all my players because they're going to say, hey, Gary, awesome program, beautiful. I love everything about it. But you know what? The Development Academy is the most competitive circuit. Um, and, and it's, you know, that's tempting for us. And I think we're going to have to move Evan or Ryan or whoever, you know, to the galaxy or to Pats or to Irvine strikers or to wherever else. And look, I'm investing in our own club and these players are leaving us not because we're doing a poor job, but they're leaving us because these other clubs have exclusive exclusivity in this competitive circuit. It's fucking wrong, dude. All right, I want to kind of change gears and go to another thing that I see quite often, and it kind of ties back into it. it's just a game, that mentality. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that are out there saying, 
number one, be thankful for like the crafts and, and, and the Phil Ann shoots and, and those guys be thankful for them that, that, you know, kind of, again, gave CPR to soccer in the United States. But there's also the group that's saying, be thankful for all the coverage in the media right now that soccer is getting, because this is the most coverage we've ever gotten before. So what's your reaction when you hear things like that? My immediate reaction was like, these guys in the media actually credit themselves for building soccer in America as well. They think, yeah, they, they love the owners. They created this ecosystem. And the media guys, these reporters, these journalists, actually believe that they are in large part responsible for the traction that soccer has in this country. And it pisses me off. So that's what came to mind, dude. And I think it goes back to, oh, I, th I think you ended the article with, um, yeah, let me see what it says exactly. So when they say it's just a game, it's genius. How have they indoctr indoctrinated you to say it? So it's like these media guys have, have basically created that, that, mentality of it's just a game and now it's kind of their responsibility to maintain it sure well in large i think they it, it the it's just the game thing has a twofold consequence one is or not consequence but it, it kind of originates or i don't know i'm just gonna say it it comes out of ignorance and two I think it's very convenient to continue perpetuating that tagline because whoever are the incumbents now, be they MLS franchise owners or be they these established journalists and reporters, it kind of puts the competition at bay uh, by saying, hey, listen, guys, it's not that important. Why are you criticizing so hard? Why do you care so much? Nah, you don't need to do that. Come on, guys. There's more important things in life. It's just a game. In the meantime, these reporters, you know, they have their livelihoods and they keep their livelihoods intact. You know, they, they scare some competition away. And the same thing with the owners, man. So chill, everybody. You don't have to compete with us. Go do something more important with your life. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. But I, they, I this kind of man, I uh, didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes sense, but it it actually leads perfectly into into another thing I wanted to talk about. And you've, we've we I mean we've talked about it too about just politics, just American politics or or international politics. But you posted something on Facebook I think a while back that that talked about like class warfare mm -hmm. and how like the middle class is just in like this constant just battle with each other while everybody else above them is kind of just removed and they kind of just like watch things happen and they're not really affected by it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really change the way that they think or the way they live their own lives. And it's kind of left like the middle class, you know, in, a, in, in war. Mm -hmm. Do you think, do you, or do you see any similarities in soccer? And if so, like what, what specifically or is the same or different? It's a good question, dude. Let me, let me, Take two seconds here. <laughs> I don't know what what's popping in, into my head is that a lot of us down here and not in the ivory tower. 
I see us fighting with each other as well uh, on on superficial topics, you know, things like how to play the right way or coaching education or uh, parent problems in youth soccer. And we have different ideas about how it should be. And we quibble with one another instead of, you know, focusing our lens at those on the ivory tower and say, listen, guys, you guys have created this mess down here. You guys have created this conflict uh, between USL and NASL, for example, or between academy and non-academy clubs um, or, or the conflict between, you know, coaches or clubs and, and parents because there's conflict. There's a lot of friction there uh, between the two sides because there's competing interests. And, and few of us are looking at, okay, why are, why are our interests competing? Why are we so opposed to one another? And, and we never take the time to get to the root of that problem. And I think the root of it is at the top, man. I think policy at the federation level is creating all of this conflict. And we, yeah, we keep ourselves busy by fighting amongst ourselves. And, and those guys get away scot-free. So I don't know. That's that's what came to mind, dude. I think that's a actually a perfect answer and something that I th- I think if somebody were to hear that they would sit back and maybe evaluate their own interactions that they're having with people you know in their own class or in their own field and and they would think like oh you know like maybe maybe that's not what I should be focusing on maybe I should be focusing on X Y Z that's a little bit higher. So yeah. No, it's part of it's part of the. If you look at the grand grander scale of politics, it's kind of what they've done, man. You have this two party system here, and all we do is bicker with each other and fight each other constantly. And yeah, you look up and you point at each other's leaders, you know, as being incompetent. But you're not looking at the system, you know, and the system is what 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 creates this warfare. Anyways, I don't know. I, I'm going to stop there. I'm getting out of out of my domain of expertise there quite a bit, but it's what I see in the world. But what's funny though, is that like, there's no real way to become an expert in soccer politics. Like I've, I've looked into it just a little bit, but it's like even things like as as simple as you would think as simple as, you know, the date for the next election for Mm. USSF, you know, that, that shit's not public. How, how they elect the next president is not public. There's no, I don't know. Is it? It's not. No, no it's not. You, you can't. You can't just Google it. You can't just look it up. You can't. It's. It's not just readily available like other other things. So it's weird. No, and that and that's our fault. You know, we don't come together here and and say, all right, let's apply some pressure and make sure that things like let's take some steps forward. Things like that are actually made public. Yep. In the meantime, if we don't fight, if we don't, if we don't put the the heat on those guys up there they're just going to keep doing what they do and and even worse they get more and more entrenched in their positions of power all right (laughs) (laughs) i got heated this might even be a podcast for you not and not for whatever else we're doing with this
All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 coaching education program. His name is Thomas, and he's been a member for quite a while. This is what he had to say. If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams, and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review, and I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.